invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 21 as we continue our journey through the Bible's first book. And I'm going to read verses 22 through 34. Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 22. If, if, if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago, the message was titled Abraham and Abimelech Part 1, and we, that, that was dealing with Genesis chapter 20. And so now, uh, a few years later, because in the early part of chapter 21, Isaac was born, and that took us all the way through to his weaning and the sending out of Ishmael. And so uh, now, a few years later, uh, Abraham and Abimelech have a second recorded encounter, and so today's message is Abraham and Abimelech, part two. Remember that Abimelech is the king of Gerar, which, as we will learn, is in the, the land that would eventually uh, belong to the Philistines. So Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 to 34, Holy Scripture says, At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me, that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is the word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, we stand in need of instruction, encouragement, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would indeed shine the light of your word upon our hearts that we would know you and walk more faithfully with you. If anyone is here this morning who is outside of fellowship with Christ, we pray that you might shine the spotlight of the gospel upon their hearts and call them unto salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to walk uh, through this passage kind of with a very, very simple uh, outline before the treaty, the treaty, and after the treaty, and then uh, we'll draw out some, some 
practical application for our own walk with the Lord. Uh, So, obviously, what we see here is a treaty between uh, Abraham and Abimelech, but before a treaty or a covenant can be solemnized, it has to be desired and discussed, and any sticking points have to be ironed out, and that's what happens in verses 22 to 26. Abimelech, accompanied by Phicol, the commander of his army, is the initiator of the treaty, Abimelech desires to obtain from Abraham a solemn promise that Abraham will treat Abimelech and his descendants well. But why? Why why does Abimelech want this sworn oath from Abraham? And the answer, of course, is that it has become evident to Abimelech that God is with Abraham. This is the first thing that Abimelech says to Abraham in verse 22, God is with you in all that you do. Abimelech recognized that God's favor was upon Abraham, and Abimelech didn't think it was a good idea to be at odds with God's man. To be at odds with God's man is basically to be at odds with God himself, and so Abimelech thought it was a good idea to be on sworn, promised good terms with Abraham. Although Abimelech may not have known about God's earlier promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, what we see in Genesis chapter 21 is the outworking of that earlier promise in chapter 12 when God promised Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, Genesis 12, 3. Though Abimelech would not have understood the full implications of that promise if he, would, if he was even aware of it, Abimelech had the good sense to realize that it would be beneficial to be rightly related to Abraham. And so in Genesis chapter 21, Abimelech wants to secure for himself Abraham's blessing. Now let me ask two questions. First, How did Abimelech know that God was with Abraham? Well, uh, there's a a couple uh, pointers. Obviously, the fact that God was with Abraham was drilled into Abimelech a few years earlier back in Genesis chapter 20 when Abraham was acting foolishly and he declared that Sarah was only his sister, but he didn't say anything about her being his wife, thus making it seem that Sarah was eligible to be courted by another man, and Abimelech did not waste much time and took Sarah into his house, and that's when Abimelech's problems started because God confronted Abimelech that night for taking another man's wife, and uh, to make a long story short, God made it very clear that Abimelech needed to return Sarah to Abraham, and Abraham, the prophet, the one who'd acted foolishly, Abraham the prophet would pray for Abimelech and that would thereby bring ongoing life to Abimelech. So even, even, even in Abraham's folly, it had become evident to Abimelech that God was with this man, Abraham. But beyond that, it says, uh, the, the comment that Abimelech makes, God is with you in all that you do. So it, it must have become evident to Abimelech over the last 
over, over the, the intervening few years, that there was just a, a tangible blessing that accompanied Abraham in all of his activities as he sojourned in the, in the general region where Abimelech was king. And although we don't know exactly what these tangible effects were that Abimelech would have witnessed, uh, I, I, I think that it's very likely that at least some of those blessings would be along the lines of the blessings that God promised to Israel later in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I just want to read that for you because I think it gives us a window into understanding the kind of blessing that would have been apparent to Abimelech. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, the first uh, 14 verses. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. God is with you in all that you do. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. God is with you in all that you do. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. Notice verse 10, especially from Deuteronomy 28. All the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Long before those specific words were spoken, Abimelech, the pagan king of Gerar, saw that Abraham was called by God. And at the very least, he had a healthy fear of Abraham and wanted to have peace with this God-blessed man. Now, here's the second question I want to ask. How did Abraham become a man graced by God's presence? And the answer, of course, is that God chose Abraham and laid hold of him and made covenant with him. Over and over, Genesis chapters 12 to 21 have shown us that the Lord is with Abraham. The Lord spoke to Abraham when Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. The Lord appeared to Abraham in Shechem. The Lord protected Abraham in Egypt. The Lord gave victory to Abraham when he engaged in a regional military conflict to rescue Lot, who had been taken prisoner of war. The Lord visited Abraham 
when he lived near Hebron. The Lord protected Abraham in Gerar back in chapter 20. The Lord had recently fulfilled his promise to give Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac. All these are punctuation marks showing us, the readers of Genesis, that the Lord is with Abraham. But this decision on the Lord's part is his free and sovereign choice. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you, Genesis 12, 2. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great, Genesis 15, 1. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, Genesis 17, 1. Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, Genesis 17, 4. Abraham has not done any tricks to give the illusion that he is spiritual, okay? None of that. Abraham is the undeserved recipient of God's grace. Of course, he received this grace with an obedient faith. He trusted the Lord's words, and he went where the Lord told him to go, and he did what the Lord told him to do. When God's grace captures a man, and that man places his confidence in God's promises and lives obediently, In light of those promises, the end result is the man walking with God and God walking with the man. And when God is with a man, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley, in the home or out in the field, working or resting or with family or neighbors or friends or whoever, it is God's will that His presence bring sanctification and benefit to every dimension of life. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.17. Abimelech was able to put two and two together. God is with you in all that you do. And so given God's favor upon Abraham, Abimelech wanted Abraham's word that Abraham would treat him and his descendants with kindness. Now therefore swear to me here by God, before God in the presence of God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Of course, back in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham did deal falsely with Abimelech, and God quickly straightened that all out. And and as you go on in Genesis chapter 20, Abimelech had indeed dealt kindly with Abraham by giving him sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, by inviting Abraham to choose whatever portion of land he wanted, and by giving him a thousand pieces of silver. That's in Genesis chapter 20, verses 14 to 16. So in the end, Abimelech had shown kindness, generosity, and hospitality to Abraham, and now Abimelech wants Abraham to promise that Abraham will show kindness, generosity, and hospitality to Abimelech and to Abimelech's descendants and even to Abimelech's land that Abraham would not deprive the land of its strengths but rather ensure its ongoing vitality. Apparently, Abraham had no reservations about agreeing to this for he answered, I will swear. However, before two parties enter into covenant with one another, It is necessary to address any sticking points. It is not wise to enter into a covenant with another person if you are aware of an unresolved conflict between the two of you. First, 
start, start dealing honestly by dealing with the conflict before you enter into the covenant, which is exactly what Abraham does. Abraham was aware of a sticking point, and he brought it to Abimelech's attention in verse 25. Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, and Abimelech answered in verse 26, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. Apparently, Abraham had dug a well, verse 30, and had a legitimate right to it, but some of Abimelech's servants had unlawfully seized it from Abraham. Abimelech answers that he was unaware that this unlawful seizure had happened and didn't, didn't know who had done it. But Abimelech was willing to solemnly affirm Abraham's right to the well as the treaty-making event will make clear. So let's move to the treaty itself, verses, beginning in verses 27 to the beginning of verse 32. These pre-treaty details have cleared the way for the actual treaty or covenant to, to be made. And as I've said before, covenant making is not merely making promises. Covenant making involves making promises, but the covenant making itself means solemnizing and sealing the promises through a covenant ritual. In Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham, and the covenant ritual involved the sacrifice of animals. Here in Genesis chapter 21, when Abraham and Abimelech made a covenant with each other, the covenant ritual involves gifts. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. It's possible that those animals were sacrificed, but we are not told anything about that. But, but what we see is that Abraham didn't just swear an oath to treat Abimelech well. Talk itself can be cheap. And it's easy to make a promise that you don't intend to keep just to get someone off your back. But when you put your money where your mouth is, or when you put your sheep and oxen where your mouth is, then this communicates that you mean business by the promises that you make. In addition to the sheep and oxen, Abraham also set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, verse 28. And Abimelech inquired, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs? And Abraham answered in verse 30, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. So here we see that part of the treaty making or covenant making between Abraham and Abimelech addressed the property dispute that Abraham had raised in verse 25. When Abraham gives seven ewe lambs to Abimelech, he is showing the seriousness of his claim, and by accepting these lambs, which Abimelech evidently does, Abimelech is solemnly swearing to uphold Abraham's right to the well. Verse 31 implies that Abimelech did in fact accept these seven lambs, therefore that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. Now, the place name Beersheba connects Abraham's well to the treaty that was made between Abraham and Abimelech because Beersheba, it, it has one of two possible meanings. I'm not sure which one or, or even if the intention is both. Um, but Beersheba means either well of seven or well of oath. If it means well of seven, then it refers to the seven lambs given to Abimelech uh, as a testimony to the fact that Abraham owned the well. If it means well of oath, then it refers to the well as the place where Abraham and Abimelech made 
the treaty. Either way, it means that the property, the property dispute regarding the well was successfully resolved when Abraham and Abimelech made a covenant with each other. With the treaty making now complete, the beginning of verse 32 summarizes what had just taken place. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Abraham had pledged his goodwill to Abimelech, Abimelech's descendants, Abimelech's land. Uh, Abimelech had probably pledged goodwill along the same lines, but he certainly honored and affirmed Abraham's right to the well in Beersheba. So now let's go to after the treaty, verses 32 to 34, with Abimelech's purpose to obtain a promise from Abraham now satisfied, Abimelech and Phicol could return home, and that's what they did in verse 32. It's interesting to note that Abimelech returned to the land of the Philistines, verse 32, and look at the end of verse 34. Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So are, are, are they living in the same place or not? Well, the answer is yes and no. They, they were both living in the same general region, but they were living in different parts of the region. Uh, Abraham was living in Beersheba, whereas Abimelech's home base was in Gerar. That's where he was king, which we learned back in chapter 20. According to one Bible atlas, Beersheba and Gerar were about 20 miles apart. So they're not in the same, exactly the same area, but they're in the same general region. And notice that while living in Beersheba, Abraham continued to do what he always did. He worshiped the Lord. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, Perhaps the tree was to serve as some kind of place marker where he would meet with God. But Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, verse 33. When Abraham first entered Canaan, he built an altar to the Lord in Shechem, Genesis 12, 7. Later in the Bethel Ai region, he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord, Genesis 12, 8. Eventually, Abraham settled in Hebron, for a long time. And early on in Hebron, he built an altar to the Lord, Genesis 13, 18. Now Abraham would sojourn many days in the land of the Philistines. And what did he do? He called on the name of the Lord. It's worth highlighting that the Lord is identified as the everlasting God in verse 33. The Lord God is the unshakable and stable refuge of his people in a shakable and unstable world. Abraham had no permanent home in this world, as is evident by his frequent travels and his status as a sojourner. Abraham lived in this world as an outsider, an outsider to Canaan, an outsider to Egypt, an outsider to the land of the Philistines. Abraham had seen Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. Abraham had known conflict in his own household conflict between his servants and Lot's servants, conflict between Sarah and Hagar. Abraham had to experience his nephew Lot becoming a prisoner of war and his son Ishmael having to be sent away. Abraham had gotten himself into volatile situations in Egypt and Gerar, and more recently, a well that Abraham had dug had been unlawfully seized. So if anyone thinks that God being with Abraham meant that Abraham's life in this world was like a walk in the park, you're not paying attention. God being with Abraham did not mean Abraham's life was easy. 
God being with Abraham meant that, that Abraham had God's help, strength, guidance, protection, provision, hope-giving promise, and stabilizing presence in the midst of this unstable world. And Abraham did not forget to give thanks. Abraham did not forget the everlasting arms that upheld him. Abraham remembered that God alone was his anchor, sustainer, and faithful promise keeper. Abraham remembered to keep calling on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. God is the giver of every good gift, including water sources like the well in Beersheba, but God himself is the ultimate refresher and strengthener of his people. Now, I would like to apply this passage by setting it before you as an example, as an example of how God wants his covenant people to be a light to the nations, to the pagans, to unbelieving neighbors, to the Abimelechs and the coals of the world. In terms of the passage itself, just think of these four aspects. God was with Abraham in all that he did. Abimelech noticed. Abimelech wanted to be the recipient of Abraham's goodwill, and Abraham pledged his goodwill to Abimelech. Now think of these four aspects applied similarly to the church. God is with his people in all that they do. God wants the world to notice. God wants, to be, God wants the world to be the recipient of the church's goodwill, and the church actually ought to demonstrate goodwill to the world. The basic idea anchored in Genesis 12 is that God wants his people to be a blessing to the world. God promised Abraham, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. The blessed man becomes a blessing to the wider world. The blessed man becomes a blessing to the not yet blessed. And when I say blessed, I mean blessed by the saving mercies of God. As I read earlier, a holy and blessed Israel was supposed to be known as a nation called by God, right? And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you, Deuteronomy 28.10. And the, the, the beautiful prayer at the beginning of Psalm 67 is similar. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. The prayer is that God's favor upon Israel would result in God's truth being revealed to the world. Salt and light, which is my next passage. In the New Testament, we learn that the church is now entrusted with this privilege of making the Father known to the world. Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God is with us in all that we do, if we belong to him, and God being with us generates bucket loads of good works. 
so that his light and salvation might be revealed to more and more people. And God's will is that other people notice that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. With this big picture in mind, I want to drill down with an emphasis on two things. First, the precious truth that God is with his people, and secondly, that God wants to make himself known through our good conduct in and toward the world. So we begin with the precious truth that God is with his people. Although my exhortation to us that we demonstrate goodwill to the world is very practical, it is not a mere social message to treat people nicely. The instruction for us Christians, the instruction to love our neighbors is rooted in the fact that God is with us and we are in fellowship with him. Living in fellowship with God is the fruit of his gracious salvation. Remember how Paul describes unsaved people, which is what we were before God's grace got a hold of us. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, and other passage teaches us that unredeemed sinners do not know the way of peace and have no fear of God. Titus chapter 3 indicates, Paul writes, for we ourselves, before we were saved, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Titus 3.3. 3. The man who remains bound in sin is far from God, doesn't have a heart for God, and doesn't have a life that reflects God's character. But just as God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and just as God called Israel out of the land of Egypt, so God calls his chosen ones out of sin and death. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. And back to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1.7. And when God makes us alive, through Jesus Christ, we enter into fellowship with him. Through Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. We are united to Christ, the true vine who nourishes us, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, enlivens and sustains our practical communion with the Father, joins us together as brothers and sisters at the heart level, propels us forward on the path of obedience, and empowers us to bear witness to God's gracious salvation. There is no part of a believer's life that is unaffected by our fellowship with the Lord. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. In every way, the Lord be with you all. Second Thessalonians 
3.16. And our ever-present Lord who brings to us his ever-present peace enables us to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Just as God was with Abraham in all that he did, so God is with us Christian believers in all that we do. Now, this truth that God is with us has hundreds of implications, but I just want to focus in on one cluster of implications that relate to Genesis chapter 21. Abraham's life bore witness to Abimelech that God was with Abraham in all that he did. And then once Abimelech took notice and told Abraham that he had noticed, Abraham pledged his goodwill to Abimelech. Abimelech's descendants, and Abimelech's land. And so in light of that, I want to emphasize that since God is with us, our lives should make an impression upon the world, and we must be resolved to do good to the world. And I'm using the phrase, the world, as shorthand for our unbelieving neighbors. We're not supposed to have some grand programmatic strategy to impact 8 billion people. But we're supposed to function as light to the unbelieving neighbors in our little corner of the world. Now, the way to make an impression upon our unbelieving neighbors is not by trying hard to make an impression. Those who go down the path of the most important thing is to be relevant quickly become irrelevant as far as God's kingdom priorities are concerned. The way to make an impression upon our unbelieving neighbors, is to walk in obedience to God. You can't manufacture God is with you in all that you do. You're not supposed to market the concept. Instead, you're supposed to live the reality. Abraham lived the reality. He followed God's call, trusted God's word, called upon God's name, worshipped God wherever he went. Israel's promised blessing in Deuteronomy chapter 28 was conditioned on faith and obedience, and so is ours. Practically speaking, who is the salt of the earth? and the light of the world in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. It's the people that Jesus was just speaking about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. The poor in spirit, the brokenhearted, the gentle and meek, the pursuers of righteousness, the merciful, the pure-hearted, the peacemakers, the people who are so committed to righteousness and to the Lord that they are willing to suffer for righteousness' sake and suffer for the Lord's sake and count it all joy when they do. Furthermore, when such people are doing life together in community, what a powerful testimony. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 35. It's beautiful to see outpourings of love in this church family as people grieve, as people are sick, as people have bursted pipes. People are there supporting, encouraging, and helping one another. In Philippians chapter 2, it is obedient and content and uncomplaining Christians who are without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we shine as lights in the world, Philippians 2, 15 and 16. In 1 Peter, we learn that unbelieving pagans are surprised when we do not join them in their flood of moral debauchery. In other words, our holy conduct stands out. Now, in 1 Peter 4, Peter tells us that these surprised pagans who can't believe we're not joining them in sin, they malign us. But unbelievers don't always malign us. 
sometimes, like Abimelech to Abraham, and there's many other examples in Scripture, sometimes unbelievers treat believers kindly. Why? Well, one reason might be because God might be in the process of calling that unbeliever into faith. That might be one reason. Another reason might simply be, you know, just has the the heart of the king's in the hand of the Lord. Well, the heart of everyone is in the hand of the Lord, and if he means to do you good through an unbeliever, he will. But regardless of how unbelievers respond to the visible reality that God is with us, we have a responsibility to show them goodwill. We seldom give focused attention to this responsibility, so let me take a few minutes to do this right now. Just as Abraham pledged goodwill to Abimelech and Abimelech's descendants and Abimelech's land, so we should be resolved to demonstrate our goodwill to our unbelieving neighbors. This never means compromising the truth or watering down our message, but it always means walking in kindness toward people. Just let this smattering of passages sink in. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6.10. Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Titus 3.2. Do you hear that? For all, to everyone, to everyone, toward all people. And then walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. And then 1 Peter three fifteen. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. What, what savoriness, wisdom, grace, gentleness, respect. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you've got to repair a property dispute like the well in Beersheba, deal with it. Promotes peace. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those Verses are all from Romans 12. And then 1 Peter 2, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. 1 Peter 2, 18. Do not repay evil for evil. Do you notice how, how often that instruction is given? We are the kind of people regularly tempted to repay evil with evil. And this instruction not to do that is all over the place. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing, 1 Peter 3, 9. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5, 44. And remember this promise. Now as a proverb... It should be taken as a general statement of what often happens. 
not as a blanket statement for what always happens, but nevertheless, it's a good word. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The goal in all this is not merely that we have peaceful relations with our unbelieving neighbors, though that is a blessing, provided that we're not compromising the truth or compromising holiness in pursuit of such peaceful relations. But the larger goal is that we want our unbelieving neighbors to come to know God. We want them to be drawn to the Father. We want them to see the the beauty of Christ and His self-giving love. We want them to catch a glimpse of the Father's character. We, We want them to understand the gospel so that they might turn away from their sin and trust in the Lord. So brothers and sisters, you who belong to Christ, take Abraham as your example and do good to your unbelieving neighbors. Now, if anyone is here this morning who's more in the position of Abimelech and you want to be the recipient of the church's goodwill or of the Christians that you know of of their goodwill, I urge you not to stop there. Peaceful relations with the church, peaceful relations with your wonderful Christian neighbor will not save you. You need peaceful relations relations with God, which he offers to all who confess that Jesus is Lord and bank on his sacrifice. And so I urge you, Abimelechs, who might be here this morning, don't be content to entreat the favor of Abraham, but entreat the favor of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would continue to grow a beautiful, holy, sacrificial, loving, prayerful, worshipful, generous church family. And that that goodness from you that you deposit within our fellowship and sustain through the Holy Spirit, that it would not remain here, but that it would overflow to the good of neighbors, colleagues, coworkers. That they might join us in calling on the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.